You're listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast from Judicial Watch. I'm Chris Farrell, and this is On Watch. Welcome to On Watch, everybody, the Judicial Watch podcast, where we go behind the headlines to recover to cover reporting that the mainstream media would rather you not know about, where we try to recover some lost history, and we try to explain the inexplicable. Today, I'm really pleased uh, to have joining us Bill Gertz, the national security correspondent for the Washington Times. He's done great reporting for the Washington Times for literally decades, as long as I've been around Washington, which is a good long time. Bill's been over at the Times, really churning out stories nobody else covers. Uh, welcome to On Watch, Bill. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to be on the program. And uh, I'm uh, always amazed at the, uh, the things that Judicial Watch uh, produces. And I, I watch uh, what you guys do very closely. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Besides being the national security correspondent, we'll, we'll talk about some of your recent reporting. You've also put out your latest book called Deceiving the Sky, which is really about China's drive for military supremacy. And of course, you regularly host your own podcast called Victory Over Communism. So I guess we're gonna take those in order. Let me start off with some of your recent reporting. You focus obviously on our greatest national security threat, which is China. Two stories come to mind. You've done one on Taiwan and the fact that the, the threat to that island nation uh, maybe accelerating or maybe may more uh, more urgent than we originally realized. And then the second reporting, uh, second article really has to do with China's infiltration, economic infiltration. It's the, sort of the agents of influence and finance in the United States. I'll let you take them in any order that you want, but those two stories I think are very important to cover. Sure, uh, first a little bit about myself. I've, I cover national security affairs with a heavy emphasis on China affairs. Um, as, as you uh, mentioned earlier before, uh, I'm an old cold warrior. I, I, I covered the Soviet Union extensively and uh, really turned my focus on China in uh, around 2000, late 90s, 2000. Uh, and I remember going to the Pentagon. I was doing a story on the PLA and I got a briefing at the Defense Intelligence Agency. And in the middle of the briefing, or at the end of the briefing, a colonel came in and said, the general would like to see you. And the general turned out to be the director of the DIA. And we <laughs> sat in a windowless uh, conference room in the Pentagon, and he proceeded to tell me that China was not a threat. And <laughs> I was shocked because I could understand, you know, the political policy for 40 years has been let's trade with China, let's ignore its sure. behavior, sure. Uh, and then hopefully it will moderate its behavior and become a non-threatening power. And it, it's been an utter disaster. In any case, this, uh, you know, anyway, so I asked the, the DIA director, I said, well, why do you think that it's not a threat? And he basically said, because of their statements. And so I could see that there was really a problem, not just within the political and academic community, but within the intelligence community right, itself. Right. Uh, fast forward a few years, and a Chinese spy was discovered inside the DIA, yep. which I feel was the reason that the director gave me that 
completely bogus answer. The, well, the, even today, there's people that are trying to say, well, you know, it's not really a threat and it's not really communist. You know, they want to try to massage it, right? They want to try to come up with language and descriptions that it's a hybrid economy, it's a hybrid political system. They're not really militarily aggressors. There's always an excuse that there seems to be a certain chorus coming out of the national security world that's always ready to apologize for China. Yeah, on, on Taiwan, that is the hottest flashpoint, and it's been the hottest flashpoint going back for the last 20 years because uh, it's, it's gained momentum in recent years under the leadership of Ch in China of Communist Party General Secretary Xi Jinping, who has ordered the Chinese military to be excuse me, to be ready to use force against Taiwan in the coming years. Right. And uh, military commanders have testified to Congress that this uh, action could take place in, as soon as 2027 or even earlier. Uh, in fact, the new commander slated to be commander for the Indo-Pacific Command, uh, Admiral Paparo, just testified recently for his confirmation hearing that it could the timeline is not certain, but that the U.S. is ready for anything that could happen. And again, with uh, with wars breaking out in Ukraine and the Middle East, uh, the Chinese are opportunistic enough that they could try a move on Taiwan in the coming years. I, you know, I don't know that that assurance from the good admiral is true that we're ready for anything. I can't. Uh, I don't buy it, frankly. Um, I think that we're probably incredibly vulnerable across the Pacific. You know, fighting a war in the Pacific is unlike anything we've done in the last, well, 70 years, really. But, uh, you know, the, the, the problems with logistics and distances, amphibious operations, the ability uh, to sustain forces at, at great distances, it's a very different animal. And I don't see that we've committed all the resources necessary to do it. Uh, we have it. And there's divisions within the current administration and even the military. And I think this was uh, really made clear by uh, former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, General Mark Milley. Uh, and he carried out what some China hands are calling threat deflation. In other words, playing down the threat from China. And Milley said that, oh, uh, China really doesn't have the capacity to make an amphibious assault across the 100-mile-wide Taiwan Strait. And uh, in my reporting, I've pointed out that, you know, China is facing some serious economic problems right now, but not in their military. In the last four years, the Chinese have cranked out uh, three large-deck amphibious helicopter assault ships. So right. uh, that's just one indication. And again, they're cranking out submarines like sausages as well. Um, they can do it. There's questions about what the, the use of their civilian merchant fleet, which they practice doing. Uh, so things are pretty hot on the Taiwan Strait, and uh, the U.S. is trying to figure out how to deter them. Uh, the Biden administration failed to deter Russia, decide, even though the U.S. intelligence community was inside the command and control system of the Russian military. They knew an invasion was coming and were unable to stop it. Right. We're facing a kind of similar situation on the Taiwan Strait. We know they've announced they want to be ready to go in a few years, and they're really not doing enough to deter them. 
Well, there's a lot of folks that look at the situation with Russia's invasion of Ukraine and say that essentially the, uh, the position, the analysis, the publicly disclosed, publicly discussed uh, analysis from the United States looking at Russia is that we, we de facto green-lighted Putin. We, the, all the things we said, all the things we did, all the things we acknowledged about his buildup, we basically telegraphed him, okay, go ahead. Uh, if, as long as you make it quick. You know, if you're, if you're in Kiev within 48 hours, then, you know, good luck. And that it, Putin, it Putin read that and said, okay, I got a green light. I can take it. Yeah, it really was a, fa- a major failure. Now, it, here's an interesting point, and I've reported on this, and this is accurate, that in order to dissuade Moscow from invading Ukraine, the Biden administration shared intelligence with China right. that Beijing would right. help to, again, dissuade Putin from going in. I remember and guess that. what the Chinese did? They shared the intelligence with the Russians. Right. This is the kind of new axis of evil that's emerging with uh, China leading Russia, Iran and North Korea. Exactly. Yeah, I can remember that. And, you know, I, I have very bad feelings about the uh, the level and quality of the intelligence that was shared as we try to impress them about what we can see and what we can hear and what we can measure. And, you know, uh, I, I have a feeling that, that was another grave error on the part of, of uh, the Biden administration. You know, when I compare, I always do this thought experiment and I say, Okay, from the world of national security uh, chiefs, look at uh, Jake Sullivan and look at his resume, you know, and line that up against somebody like Mike Flynn, right? (laughs) Who is more qualified or less qualified to be providing national security advice to a president? And, uh, you know, the, the scenario you just described with us going over to the Chinese and whispering them, oh, go tell the Russians we know what they're doing and tell them to knock it off. Talk about, I mean, childish. What a, what a remarkably unsophisticated way to convey a message. Well, I think it reflects, again, this goes to the, the ideology that people don't, do not understand what is happening in China today is the, the reanimation or revitalization of Marxism-Leninism. They call it Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics. Right. And it is, and I can remember debating uh, this, uh, the China threat years ago, and a businessman said, I've been doing business in China for 20 years, I've never met a communist. And I, I told him to go to the PLA Museum in Beijing, which I visited in the late 90s when I uh, covered a Secretary of Defense visit there. And all the statues of the communist leaders are there, uh, Marx, Engels, uh, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao. And so, yeah, it's a real failure to understand what's motivating the Chinese. And I, it's kind of a what I call anti-anti-communism, that uh, people are so opposed to anti-communism for whatever reasons, maybe baggage from the 50s or others, but they won't clearly look at the, what's motivating the uh, Chinese today. So when it comes to Chinese activities in the United States, you've done some great reporting on various Chinese uh, investment and technology firms. Uh, They're the smiley face of the communist Chinese in the United States. Uh, They're stealing everything they can get their hands on. They're trying to influence via economic warfare the relationship between China and the United States. 
Talk about some of your reporting, some of these organizations, and how the Biden administration is engaging or dealing with them. Yeah, we're we're at a stage now. <coughs> again, excuse me. Um, during the Trump administration, a major shift uh, in U.S. policy towards China was undertaken. It was a halfway measure. It was basically identifying Beijing as a strategic competitor. It should have been uh, clearly stated as this is an adversary or enemy, which right. it, it really is. It's right. been engaged in low-level gray zone warfare against us now for going on two or three decades. Uh, the Biden administration came in and adopted many of the policies, some of them good. I, I'll give them credit on Taiwan. The president stated clearly that uh, the U.S. military would intervene if China uses force against uh, uh, Taiwan. Right. But other things changed uh, beginning in uh, very early in the administration when the deputy secretary of state went to China and was given a long list of Chinese demands. And uh, this was Wendy Sherman. And she went there to try and re-engage China, to, to renew the engagement policy. And the Chinese said, you have to stop uh, uh, persecuting our companies, stop sanctioning our companies, uh, and uh, releasing uh, Meng Wanzhou, the, the Huawei executive who was being prosecuted for uh, illicit trade with Iran. Right. And so that began a kind of re-engagement policy, which we're now seeing now. And it's, it's uh, again, it's, a, it, it's letting up and allowing the Chinese to do more business in the United States. Uh, TikTok is the biggest example. TikTok is a uh, Chinese, owned by a Chinese company, BitDance, which is can really use influence, and uh, especially on our young people. Several nations, India, uh, among others, have banned TikTok, and yet we're still in the midst of having a debate over whether it should be banned, whether China should be allowed to steal data on, and influence our uh, our population. I had uh, an interview a few weeks back. You know, we talked about the ways that China, really in an insidious manner, infiltrates so many aspects of our economy, and it's obviously all the sort of science, technology stuff you might imagine. Uh, but social media is a great example with TikTok, even genetics, genomic data. Uh, they're attempting to to gather up or vacuum up. Uh, all the genetic data they can get in the United States. There's a bill, I guess, underway or an effort to try to stop them or block them from... What they do is they don't necessarily come straight at us. They subcontract or sub-subcontract on various uh, DOD and, and other uh, government contracts. And it's their equipment that's doing all the processing. And what you don't realize is there's a back door to the equipment. They can download everything out of the sun, kind of like the crazy balloon situation, where they said, oh, the balloon's not a threat. It's flying over all of our bases and doing data dumps back to China, but it's not a threat. I mean, this is, I, I'm not sure if it's, you know, there's this question as to whether you're either complicit or you're negligent. Which one is it? You know what I mean? It, it's a horrible situation that our government is, is actively betraying the public and then lying about it. It's a, it's a combination of both. Uh, yeah, again, there's divisions over how to deal with China. Um, on the hard left, in, which is infiltrated uh, into the Biden administration, you have uh, Marxists or neo-Marxists who actually look at China as the future. Right. They see it as a anti-capitalist system that's 
been able to produce somewhat of a good economy, uh, albeit a, a, a technologically totalitarian and politically and, and engaging in genocide and, and human rights abuses. But so there, there is sympathy for its system as well. And again, uh, we're seeing that emerge in the Democratic Party, which is shifting way to the to the way left. Now, there's still a, a non-Marxist uh, left within the Democratic Party, but they're being eclipsed by uh, many of the Marxists. So it's a huge problem. Uh, there's, there's, there. They certainly are being eclipsed. And increasingly, we see folks that are, I mean, they're cheerleading for China. You know what I mean, they, they are enamored of the system that they developed there. You've written a book, uh, you have several books, but the most recent one, Deceiving the Sky. That's a great title. Uh, it kind of points to a few things. I'm just going to let you give our, sure. our viewers and our <coughs> listeners a, a hint uh, as to what you're doing. Deceiving the Sky comes from an ancient Chinese strategy which, says, which went, deceive the sky to cross the ocean. And it's based on a story that the uh, uh, Chinese emperor was reluctant to go to war with a neighboring province. And one of the uh, uh, emperor's uh, generals uh, deceived him into going to dinner at the home of a uh, wealthy peasant. And when the emperor stepped into the house, he realized he was on a boat traveling to the front where the, where the general wanted to go. And uh, the general had to decide, do I go to war or do I go back? And the point being is that uh, they say deceive the sky it really means you, you have to deceive the emperor or even deceive God in order to achieve your objectives. And this is one of the key features of the Chinese Communist Party is that they are determined to take over the world. Uh, they believe that it's part of their historical mandate. And the main obstacle to that is the free world led by the United States. So China is engaged in a massive effort to undermine and ultimately destroy the United States. And my, my book covers uh, all different aspects of that threat, from political to financial warfare to the intelligence threat, and obviously the biggest one is the military threat. That's tremendous. Uh, lastly, I wanted to go over and talk a little bit about your podcast, which is called mm -hmm. Victory Over Communism. You know, we're, we're supposed to believe uh, that, uh, you know, the common turn folded up in 35 and, uh, and uh, you know, the Soviet Union collapsed in 91 and communism something from the history books. What are you talking about? What communism? Where is it? And uh, I argue, as you do, it's never been any more present. But uh, talk to us about victory over communism. What are, your, what are you trying to yeah. accomplish through this podcast? Sure. Um, I've been doing the podcast uh, for about two years. It's it's a, a, a educational effort. It's separate from the Washington Times, although you can find the link to it uh, on the Washington Times. Uh, it's a freelance project, and I, I, uh, it's an hour-long podcast, and it focuses on two alternating topics. The first topic is Chinese communism, and I, again, my view is that this is the existential threat to the United States: is communist China, and people just don't understand that. So, my job is to educate the American people and publics around the world to this threat. So the second topic I do is what I call uh, American, <coughs> excuse me, uh, what I call American Marxism uh, or neo-Marxism. Right. And again, this is a, uh, this is the basis for the woke ideology that we're seeing infiltrated everywhere from the military to our entire 
uh, social, political, economic, and business system. Um, and this is, a, again, it's based on critical theory, which is, a, again, it's a neo-Marxist uh, ideology, which is based on Marxism. And instead of the uh, workers uh, leading the revolution over the capitalists, it has uh, oppressed groups. It changes the working class. Uh, the, the vaunted uh, uh, group is the oppressed class. So anybody who's an oppressed class is now working to overthrow the capitalist system. And again, we're seeing this. I feel this is also a, a pretty serious threat ideologically. And again, I, I don't really go after people per se, but I go after their, the ideologies and I try to educate people. Uh, so I have it, it's four parts. Uh, the first part is a critique of either Chinese communism or American Marxism. The second part is a counterproposal, which I call a, a spiritual counterproposal, which is looking at uh, one of the key reasons that uh, communism and Marxism are wrong is that it's atheistic. And having a clear understanding of the nature of God and God's role in history, this is, I feel, really the solution to, and when you put that against the false ideologies of communism and Marxism, it really stands out. Amen. I then do a, a news section, which is often based on my reporting, uh, again, a lot on China. And then I do an interview. And I've done uh, interviews with former State Department officials and other experts, uh, people like from the uh, Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation and uh, 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 people like Mike Gonzalez at Heritage, who has done tremendous work on American Marxism. So that's basically the, the podcast. It's, it's a kind of work in progress. It's, it's a bit dry. It's for people that need, really want to understand the ideology. And again, they're not teaching that in our schools. So I feel like I'm making a, a, an important contribution to educating the public on this. Well, I agree with you 100%. I've uh, watched some episodes and uh, uh, the, you know, when I've gone to the link and listened to the first couple episodes and I was kind of seeing who your, your guest list was, and I was very impressed with the lineup. It's, uh, it's a great podcast, and our viewers and listeners should definitely hop over there and listen to Bill's excellent work on victory over communism. Bill, as folks want to follow your work, whether it's at uh, your national security correspondent work at the Washington Times, or whether they want to get your book, uh, Deceiving the Sky, or tune in to... Uh, Victory over communism. How can folks follow you? What's what are the best sure. ways to, uh, to find? I, I have. I'm at the Washington Times. Uh, just go there and search for Bill Gertz. I also have a website. It's called the Gertz File at GertzFile.com, where I list all of my stories, my columns, and all of my books, as well as the the Victory Over Communism podcast. Podcast has its own site, which is VictoryOverCommunism.net. And on social media, all the platforms, I'm at Bill Gertz. That's great. Bill Gertz, thank you so much for your time. Some tremendous work you're doing. I don't know anybody else who doggedly pursues the communist Chinese threat as you do. So we greatly appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. I'm Chris Farrell on Watch. Thanks for listening to Chris Farrell's On Watch podcast. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.